Howdy gamers, it's Leighton here from Leighton Night, the podcast that you're currently listening to in case you accidentally stumbled upon this, in which case I am sorry, but just wanted to let you know that there is a video version of this episode that is up on our Patreon for all tiers. So if you want to join us over there, depending on the tier, you can get all sorts of cool benefits. We do mini-sodes every week. We do some fun videos. Uh, you get access to our fan discord and overall it's a really lovely time and we would love to have you there. So without any further ado, here is the audio version of this episode. So if you want to do the video version, you can go to patreon.com slash late night or not it's really whatever floats your boat. Anyway, episode. Audrey is in the front room playing Breath of the Wild. Rachel is not home, so get ready for that door to open any minute now with a piece of Zelda advice or a question or a general feeling of malaise that requires parental oversight. Wow, I so look forward to that. What point of Breath of the Wild is she in? Hard to say, (laughs) since Audrey does not have an agenda with Breath of the Wild except to walk around. Now that she's watching people talk about it, she's obsessed with glitches. And so she keeps looking for glitches, which of course are pretty hard to find if you're just like yeah, wandering around. So She's going for a straight speed run of Breath of the Wild. I showed her the one person who does it in like, whatever it is, like 24 minutes or something. And she's inspired. Oh, I meant to tell you this. The other day we were driving and there was some update. So we have one of the cars. You can show the map on the display in the car. Yeah, yeah. It had recently, there was a software update where it like shows the streets slightly differently. And she asked if I had seen the mod where the streets appear differently. Oh my God. And I was like, wow, we're car mods. We got a little gamer. It's fucked up that we started putting screens in cars. Like I walked past Teslas and I'm like, guys, what are we doing? (laughs) What are we fucking doing? Those Tesla screens are insane. It's so big. You're going to sit there and play Call of Duty, dude? Yeah. I I don't understand the Tesla screens. I don't understand Teslas in general. Part of me is like, okay, I get it. But also, kind of if you drive a Tesla, I don't like you. Yeah. And I have lots of friends that do, so not that I'm bragging. not anymore. Mm -hmm. Yep. Fuck you, Brent. (laughs) Just seeing them from the top, especially like when I look out my window, it's like, this is fucking ridiculous. Humans should be stopped. Has Audrey ever gone roller skating? Does she have roller skates? She does not have roller skates. I think we took her once. Yeah, Rachel took her once. Rachel took her, and Audrey did great. Rachel did less great. Uh, (laughs) Because as an adult, it's harder, a little more challenging. They went, this is a couple years ago now. This is pre-COVID, so they went, and that kid just will do literally anything. But I think Rachel was kind of sore the next day. Yeah, I asked because like I was like half falling asleep. I've just had really bad insomnia past couple of nights for no reason, no world mm-hmm, events that mm-hmm. would cause me to not be able to sleep at night. And I was just like, what if I started rollerblading? <laughs> it's not a bad idea. It's pretty fucking fun. I'm horrifically out of shape and have no true incentive of like no exercising thing seems fun to me, but I rollerbladed around as a kid a good bit. Did you have a roller rink where you grew up? 
Oh yeah, scooters, baby. That was the spot. Scooters. That was like if you were going to have a birthday, you were going to scooters. <laughs> Is that one of those big chain type places? No. That was like its own weird little thing. Its own weird little thing with its gross carpets and arcade and you know, if it was your birthday, they were going to do the chicken dance and everybody had to go out and do Great. the chicken dance on skates. Great. Which just feels like a gauntlet of humiliation for children. Oh, yeah, I remember. I mean, I have clear memories of being like a roller rinks, you know, in the mid 80s as a whatever 10 year old slash young teen and just being mortified all the time, like trying my best, but not really succeeding. I have a very clear memory of roller skating around to you might think by the cars, which I believe was a summer camp, like a day camp field trip they took us on. Yeah. Wow, that that is certainly a time and a place. Anyway, I brought it up because if I do get some skates, I would love to go skating with Audrey, or even if she has oh. her little scooter. That'd be great. Like, would you have any interest in going to Moonlight Rollerway? What is that? It's that one in Glendale. So that's where we shot Cool Patrol and NSP did a bunch of oh. other pictures there. It's the 80s roller rink in Glendale. Yeah, I would love to. They shoot a lot of things there. I've never been there as just a patron. I've only been there as a using it as a set. Entertainer. Yeah, that's right. Did you have skates on in those? I certainly did. Wow. Yep. So if you watch that Cool Patrol video, there are roller skating break dancers in it who are just like crushing it. It's one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Yeah, one of my favorite music videos ever is uh, Chet Faker's Gold where it's three ladies who are really talented. Chet Faker? That's a great name for an act. Yeah. Chet Faker Gold, there it is. I love Chet Baker, so how can I not love Chet Faker? Oh, yeah, (laughs) okay, here we go. Oh, my God, 236 million views? Fuck. It's a good fucking video. Watching this right now. Here we go. Anyway, yeah, folks at home, it's a great music video where three, like, roller skate dance professionals. I'm going to skip ahead. All right, there they are. Yep, three ladies roller blading. Or sk- no, skating. skating. And they're extremely good. It's so impressive. The people we hired for Cool Patrol, our producer found them, I think just by like looking up roller skating dancers. And it turned out that they all lived in a house together and were a roller skating dance collective. And they just showed up. And I don't even know if they had heard the track. It was three dudes. One guy was named Diamond. I remember that. Fuck yeah. And they just like did a thing. They went off to talk for maybe five minutes together, came back and had this like insane choreographed routine just ready to rock. I'm sure because they've been doing it for years and we're naturally professionals. But I wanted, part of me wanted to make the whole video just these three guys doing their dance (laughs) to Cool Patrol because it was so fucking great. I don't think I have the B-roll of that anywhere, but it was really good stuff. Yeah, the leg strength and I'm assuming core strength, like oh my god, it's amazing. Just strapping rolly things to your feet like humans what are you doing why did we do this yeah one of the guys i think i'm getting this right i can't remember his exact age but he was just like yeah man i'm like i'm the old man in the house like i've been at this so long you know i'm almost 30 and (laughs) and i was like what oh my god oh no but that makes sense for a roller skating breakdancer probably everyone else he lives with is like 19 or something. Yeah. But these guys, oh, they were so great. I loved them all. Just wanted to hang out with Diamond, talk about being a skate dancer. Yeah. And there's so many great places in LA to skate. So it feels like, you know, that's a nice yeah. 
natural fit. Now, of course, I watch this and I watch like, you know, YouTube compilations of TikTokers skating and then I'll get some and not be able to stand up for a whole week. <laughs> but Have you ever been on a skateboard? Have we talked about this? I own two skateboards and I've tried several times throughout my life to get into it. And it's just, I am so afraid of busting my ass that I just, it, it is paralyzing and not fun. Which 100% will happen. Like there's yeah. essentially zero chance if you get on a skateboard that you won't injure yourself at least a little. Yeah. But like as somebody who has, you know, rollerbladed a lot as a child, rode a lot of bikes, rode scooters, skateboard is the scariest feeling one to me. It's so cool. And then also all the times that I've tried so to do cool. it, it is such a full body workout. Just me being like completely red in the face. Oh, yeah. Uh, and huffing. That moment of terror when the board goes out from under you, like. Oh, just awful. At least I know the feeling of falling over on skates. Like I'm, I'm pretty well yeah. used to that muscle memory wise. Okay. I can't remember the answer to this. I think I know what the answer is going to be. Are you coordinated like bodily? Do you have good coordination? When I was a kid, I think yes. I don't know about now. I did like mm -hmm. a good amount of sporty stuff. I was never on teams or anything, but I like my dad and I had like a badminton little thing in our backyard and we'd hit that back and forth. I feel like that's the most minimal mm -hmm. thing, but I was always good at like hitting stuff with a bat or with mm -hmm. a racket. Maybe the thing, I'm not coordinated. I'm just good at hitting things. <laughs> Audrey is very good at this precise thing. She's got good hand-eye coordination and can hit things with the bat so well, in fact, that we can no longer in our little backyard do me throwing a ball and she hits it with a bat because it will yeah. every time go over the neighbor's fence. A yeah. Take her somewhere where she can actually uh, hit it. I always loved doing that as a kid. I think what I'm going to, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of parks around. Take her to a big park with a big field and let her just whack the shit out of a few balls. Yeah. Because that kid gets aggressive. It's awesome. Like, <laughs> when she really goes for it, it's just like, ah, oh. it's extremely adorable. Because she's always wearing some, like, you know, very pink dress or something. And She loves and those she dresses. Has, has grimace. She loves those dresses. What are other fun physical things that you do? I'm getting just, like, so sick of sitting at my computer 10 hours a day. Oh, have you considered a rock wall? What do you think about a rock wall? Ooh. Because they do have them around. I know there are climbing gyms. We've been thinking about this for Audrey, too, because the few times she's done it, she's loved it. I would do a rock wall. I would just need to work my way up because you can snap me like a toothpick, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't imagine you have much in the way of upper body strength. Is that correct? God, no. Absolutely yeah. not. Especially after the past two, three years. <laughs> If, if if forced, how many push-ups do you think you could do right now? If forced? Like if someone was like, do the maximum number of push-ups right now, how many do you think you could do? Do I have a time limit? <laughs> yeah, let's say in a minute. In a minute? Or you know what? Let's say, because I, I don't even know how to think about that. I certainly can't answer this question if it was asked of me. But if someone was like, just start doing push-ups and go until you, what a weird topic to discuss, uh, go until <laughs> failure. Until you have to like take a break. How many push-ups do you think that would be? For me, it's probably a million. Mm, that's conservative. Yeah. I would say 30 generously. Wow, that's actually quite a lot. And maybe out of spite, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Purely out of spite. This is a good idea, right? Like physical challenges. No, it's not. Late night physical challenges? <laughs> Come on, but that, that's why it's a good idea because it's not a good idea, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? 
Yeah. You mean for this podcast? Yeah. If you want to come on this show, give us as many push-ups as you can until your arms give out. I feel like we should do a thing where we get like a drill instructor type person to make us go through some kind of physical regimen. And then we have to come up to the mic. That we would not do well at, me because of my advanced age. <sighs> this is, welcome to Late yeah. Night with Fripp. And then, yeah, that for an hour. There was some Game Grumps charity stream where I had to do a bunch of burpees. Yeah, it sounds like Vernon's doing. And it did not end well. I think it was, yeah. I love those charity streams because I got to come up with a lot of the punishments. We did this thing where every like $5,000 or whatever, we'd spin a wheel. Maybe it was a thousand. Mm -hmm. I based this on my favorite podcast slash radio show, Seven Second Delay. One of my favorites, I should say. Where when they do the WFMU marathons every year, they have a, what do they call it? The Wheel of Fate. And they put punishments on it, including my favorite one ever being peanut butter underwear which is exactly what you think. Underwear coated in peanut butter that one of the dudes had to wear. Inside or outside? Oh, inside. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. That just yeah. seems like a problem. Seems awful, which is the point. Yes. I do seem to recall one of my first like extended interactions with you, or just like, mm. I don't know, one of the first things we actually did together, I think you made a cup yeah. of something for Matt, and I went with you to help raid the Grump's fridge. Oh, to feed Matt. Yes, that's right. It was fridge mix was the mix. punishment, I believe. Fridge mix. I believe there's some jelly involved. Yep, that sounds right. Mayonnaise, for sure. A hearty right. dollop. Yeah. This is why we would get a drill instructor. Every time we commit a bit crime, they're like, all right, drop. Give me 20. Yeah. What would the name of that segment ever? Bit crimes? <laughs> yeah. Bit crime. Actually, bit, bit crime. crime. Doing thought crimes, doing bit crimes. So we did record another Sopranos episode yesterday with Jory. We did. Which is very exciting. Yeah, I had a great time. Both of the people listening to it will be excited to hear episode two. All two of them. I had a great time too. And here's the thing. I feel like with those, you could skip the Sopranos part and just listen to the front and back and it would still be a great experience because it has very little to do with the Sopranos. <laughs> it truly does. I was going to text you yesterday of like, we should cut together like two tracks when we post it. One's if you want to watch it with the commentary and the other's just beginning and after discussion. Because guys, you're missing out. Even if you don't care about the Sopranos. It's really true. We barely talk about it. And it's just, you know, here's an hour of bonus jewelry episode. That's exactly right. And most of the discussion, so it's a watch along. And most of the discussion during the episode is us well, it's us pointing out stuff in the background or very frequently Jory will comment on like some kind of filmmaking thing that's going on. Mm -hmm. I always find interesting. There's a lot of discussion of props and costumes, Jersey stuff, of course. Yes. Other TV shows, probably more than The Sopranos. Definitely more than The Sopranos. Yeah. So folks at home, if you just want Jory content, which we all do, check it out. Okay, here's a, here's a pitch for a podcast. Okay. It's called the the Joe Rogan Experience Experience, and it is a listen-along. So you start every episode of the Joe Rogan Experience, but you don't hear that. It's just like a commentary uh -huh. track for each Rogan episode, right? Uh-huh. Because what I feel like Joe Rogan doesn't have enough of is exposure. <laughs> we need to... Expand his audience, you know? Brian, you just recommended a favorite show of yours that I had never heard you talk about before. You consume a lot of audio content. I certainly do. And I just feel like 
you know, you're getting a little too niche when you bring up this Rogan guy that you keep talking about. Yeah, sorry. For those of you who don't know, he played a handyman on news radio. Was he a handyman on news radio? Yeah, I think he was a handyman. I just, man. My goal is to never hear an episode of the Joe Rogan podcast. Great. That's a pact. Yeah, right now I'm batting a thousand on that. Yeah, can we do like a pinky promise through this webcam? God, I haven't done yeah. a pinky promise in years. No. Oh, look, I wish I had a big pinky ring like in The Sopranos. Boom. Yeah, pinky get swear. a Tony Soprano pinky ring, baby. Here's a good book. Watch this. Pinky swear. Fuck you. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Expert. Amazing. That hit just Thank right. Thank you very much. Well, that's what we call uh, in the business a dad joke. <laughs> it was a great dad joke, though. When you're able to incorporate a fuck into a dad joke, that yeah. really elevates the whole situation. Well, is there anything more dad than accidentally swearing when a kid is too young to hear it? And then you're like, oh, oh what I meant was fudge or whatever, you know? Yeah. I feel like that's the ultimate dad move. When you were a kid, were you afraid of cursing or like stressed out by like other children swearing? I don't think so, no. So my parents, my parents were so weird about this stuff. I remember my mother not liking it when we said, shut up. Like I was told repeatedly, shut up is a rude thing to say to someone. Yet they would routinely, I think I may have told the story on the, on the podcast because it's very formative to me. My dad, or maybe both my parents, I can't remember, took me and my sister to see George Carlin do stand up when I was like 11. <laughs> Because he loved, my dad loved comedy and he loved Carlin. And he was like, oh, Carlin's funny. I'll take the kids to Ramapo College to see George Carlin because he's doing a college thing. And it was definitely the kind of thing where we were way too young to be. I mean, it was four college kids. My dad loved Mel Brooks movies. We saw all the Mel Brooks stuff, which had a lot of like adult humor in them. I mean, I probably saw Blazing Saddles when I was like eight. Or something, you know. So my point is, my larger point is, my parents, despite being conservative in some of their mores, didn't really seem to care so much about swearing. And I don't remember being told, don't swear. That being said, I don't think I was walking around the house swearing up a storm all the time. But I never remember being like worried about it. Why? What, what was your experience? Mm. I asked this question without thinking about the ramifications of having to answer that question. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, you can answer it in broad brushstrokes. You know, I was a nerd. I was a very timid uh-huh. and quiet and frightened child generally. You know, the anxiety and whatnot. Yeah. Not like the bellicose loudmouth you've become as an adult. Yes. I truly yeah. curse like a sailor to a degree that a younger me would be just absolutely horrified by. <laughs> but... That's the broad strokes. (laughs) (laughs) So I had this thing happen when I was probably about 13, where I, by sheer force of will, went from very timid to very extroverted, essentially in between eighth grade and ninth grade, maybe slightly into ninth grade. But I have a clear memory of the summer between eighth and ninth grade being like, here's my deal. I want to lose a bunch of weight and not be such a wimp. And I basically reinvented myself over that summer and decided I was going to be a different kid when I showed up for high school. And I was. How'd that work out for you socially? 
honestly fine. But I didn't do the thing where I was like, you know, oh, what's up, everybody? You can call me B-Dog now. You know, like <laughs> everybody calls me B-Dog. By the way, we've all known people who have done this move where they're like, call me this now, which is, of course, fine. Obviously, whatever you want to be called, great. Sometimes it comes across as a little forced if it's like a two hip nickname or something, right? Yeah. Like B-Dog? No, I'm not a B-Dog. Anyway, my point is, I think it was a pretty seamless transition, partially because I went from not having much of a social life to also not having much of a social life. So it wasn't like I lost all the many, many friends I had. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a small group of friends and I continued to have a small group of friends. Yeah, I think a big shift that happened for me from middle school to high school is like middle school and elementary school, pretty much all of my friends were boys. I had a couple of close like mm -hmm. female friends. And then, but middle school especially, it was just like I was in the boy group, the extremely nerdy, extremely unpopular boy group as token mm -hmm. girl and all the great stuff that comes along with being the token girl who uh -huh. in a group of boys in middle school. And then once I got into high school, I like actually had a large group of female friends. We affectionately referred to ourselves as the mob. The mob, okay. Yeah. yeah. We had like a journal that we kept like our codes in. We had like a code system. Oh, tell me about your codes. Oh, I want to yeah. know the codes. Was this like a cryptographic code or were these like code words? No, this was like a code word of <laughs> for any like hot guy that was a mur, M-U-R. Can I guess why mur? Because the guy was so hot you wanted to murder someone. That's more steps than we did. I don't know where this came from. It just is a thing that we started doing. So there was one, that's a mur. There's two, that was a murmur. If it was a hot guy with long hair, that was a mermaid. You know, a gamer was a nerdy guy. A nerdy hot guy? Yeah. We had like not only this journal where I did like pictographic illustrations to demonstrate the different types of murs. Because for as many words that have like mer in them, we probably had one. Uh, and then we had a Google Doc with examples. Well, that's amazing. I want to hear more code words, please. It was only like this MER system because it was just like me and the group of very nerdy girls at a magnet school that was already full of the nerdiest nerds from all of the other schools. It was, it was uh -huh. pretty adorable, but we made like a lot of spreadsheets. I seem to recall we made a spreadsheet of like what we guessed each person would like end up with romantically, mm -hmm. which... High school girls are fucking weird, especially the nerdy ones. Wait, wait. Uh, you made an electronic spreadsheet for this. Yes. What were the columns? Like profession, personality, uh -huh. likely name, clothing style, interests. Oh, wow. Do you remember any of yours? The only one that I can remember is wears a lot of yellow and uh, <laughs> is a stoner. <laughs> And this is okay. when I was in high school and not completely ruined by internet and art school yet. So like mm -hmm. that was pretty left field, which I think is why it was chosen. But big ups to those. Wears a lot of yellow and is a stoner. That's like Big Bird, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Big Bird's ripping fat clouds. Uh, you know Big Bird is definitely smoking weed on Sesame yeah. Street. 100%. You can't be that big a bird and not have severe joint problems that marijuana <laughs> would help considerably, right? He's medicating. He's got to be. He's a he's a big bird. Did you ever see any of the electric company stuff? 
No. At all. Do you know what I'm talking about? What are you talking about? So when I was a kid, this even predates me by a few years, the kind of companion piece to the Sesame Street was The Electric Company, which was a kid's TV show, which was like Sesame Street, but like funky. Okay, I've heard of this and I've seen stills of it and also probably parodies of it. Yeah. Morgan Freeman was on it, I believe, in the 70s, like a young Morgan Freeman. Wow. And it's real 70s. I mean, the design from it is like the most in-your-face 70s thing you could imagine. I see that logo. Wow. Yeah, right? I think this was the electric company, the song that they do these little like, you know, very like groovy interstitials. And one song that I'm pretty sure this is an electric company thing went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. So that sounds familiar. Let me find this electric company. Oh, it's a Sesame Street one, too. Mm. Oh, f- I, this is insane. This is really bringing back memories. Oh, boy. Uh, you count us in. Yeah. Three, two, one, play. Wow. And it's pinball themed. Oh, my God. This is like a thousand times better than I remember. It's so 70s, though, right? Oh, steel drum. There's a steel drum solo. I forgot about that. Wow. So I remember watching this as a kid and being very concerned that the pinball would fall off the various ramps Mm -hmm. that it has to traverse because there's no sides on them. And it's going very straight. No gutters. There's no gutters. So, and it goes through like a little spiral helical thing. And yeah, I remember being worried about that as a child. The big source of anxiety. Do you know the hanker for a hunk of cheese song? No. Oh my God. But okay, that, hold on. I'm imagining it's the song that plays in my head whenever I eat cheese at night. Actually, that song is just Liz Lemon going, working on my night cheese <laughs> constantly. From now on, this song will play in your head Great. whenever you eat cheese at night. It's another minute-long thing. They would play this in between Saturday morning cartoons. Tell me when you're ready to play on this. I'm ready. Three, two, one, play. Even at the time, I remember thinking of all that weird 70s animation as extremely off-putting. And even at the it time, it only gets worse the older I get. Oh, yeah. I found that stuff kind of deeply disturbing. The stuff that really bothers me and continues to is the yellow submarine style stuff, which I really? just find abhorrent. Like that real 60s, it's not quite cubist, but it's sort of cubist adjacent. Like the perspectives are all weird and yeah. the color schemes are just all over the map. And it's also vaguely threatening. That stuff <laughs> drives me insane. Vaguely yeah. threatening. I guess for me, the analog of that would be like very early 3D animation. Like Pixar did that animation test where it's like a baby. Oh, Tin Toy. Yes. Yeah. That yeah, kind of yeah. stuff is more deeply entrenched in the uncanny valley. But Tin Toy, they showed us in junior high school at like an assembly. Like, probably right around when it came out to be like, can you fucking believe this is computers? But now I guess I also am off put by literally all animation. I just don't, I'm not interested. I don't know what happened to me. I remember being younger or in art school or a teenager and just being like, being an animator would be so cool. Like, this is the coolest. This makes me want to do art. And now I see it and I'm just like, I'm tired. 
want to go watch something where someone dies. <laughs> it's such a tremendous amount of work that friend of the podcast and collaborator Shuchiru, Simon Mako, the fact that that guy does what he does in the timescale that he does it is just unbelievable to me. I mean, that dude works. Yeah. You would not believe how fast that guy works. And the quality is just like incredible. I have so much respect for animators and the specific brain it takes to crank that stuff out and be good at it. Like, I have so much immense respect for it. Oh, it's incredible. And I think is one of the coolest things that we as humans have figured out how to do. And then also we do dumb shit, like put wheels on shoes. <laughs> Which honestly, though, is pretty great, right? Yeah. Speaking of flying, we showed Audrey ski jumping because we were showing her Winter Olympic stuff. So we showed her some mm. like Chloe Kim snowboard runs and some ski jumping and various other people going way too fast down slopes uh, stuff. And even her fearless little acrobat, when it came to the ski jumping, was like, uh-uh, no, no. Ski jumping to me is just how? How do you do your first one? I, I think about this with gymnastics too. And obviously there's a lot of people doing it, but like when you do your first backflip, that is such a leap of faith in so many yeah. ways. I don't understand the process of getting to that first one and thinking it's going to be okay. And it is in many, many, many cases, but yeah, man, just wild. And the ski jumping, I just don't understand how you start with like a little one. You know, mm -hmm. I'd be very interesting. This is something I, I know absolutely nothing about. I'm sure there's a method for training people, but when you do your first ski jump, how you do anything other than just die immediately is <laughs> astonishing. Well, I think you and I both are in the unique position of being uh, little cowards who are injury averse and hate looking cool or having fun. Yep. Yes. That checks all my boxes. That's right. That is funny, though, because I was watching the latest episode of the Always Sunny podcast where Glenn Howerton like broke his clavicle because he was snowboarding, <laughs> uh, uh -huh. which is really funny. I feel terrible because he was like, if I didn't have a helmet on, I would absolutely be dead. Uh -huh. But I wanted to look up what he was talking about because he was talking about like parks for snowboarding where it's like a hill and it has a bunch of things that you can do tricks off of. And I guess I was oh, cool. watching snowboarding videos for the first time and then that led me into like point of view black diamond skiing videos. And watching those, I was like, you're not even having fun. Like you seem miserable. Like I can hear you breathing and I see this steep thing that you are just ski width away from falling off of. God. Yeah. I really wish that the default was not like, I need to post every thought online. Oh my God. Like, I just keep coming <laughs> around to this of like, why did we accept this? Why did we decide that this was the way? Because here we are and it fucking sucks. It's funny. You mentioned that I was just listening to a podcast I talk about frequently, good one. And they had the comedian Drew Michael on who had a bit about social media. And he had several great quotes in this, one of which was, you know, 80% of the world is not on Twitter. So do you know what's actually trending is shutting the fuck up, <laughs> which I thought was really, really brilliant. And the other thing he said, he was like, and this is the reason I don't trust Yelp, because the moment you start reading a Yelp review, the first thing you have to realize about the person writing a Yelp review is that they are a person who had the thought, hey, I'm going to write a Yelp review. Yes. And it's the same thing with social media. The first thing that happens is you have a thought that says, hey, I should put this on social media. And immediately there's a problem. 
Yes, completely. And I feel like truly if we weren't doing this podcast, I don't think I would say shit online ever from the way that I exist because I've had enough forced distance from it at this point that it's just like, what? This contributes nothing to my life to just like throw shit out there. I really like interacting with people and I think that's part of why having a Discord is cool because it's like a small community Mm -hmm. of real people. Yep. But it's so much harder to find and cultivate those spaces online and putting things out in the world and just everything. The thing that gets overlooked, and we've talked about this on the show before, but it is something that I think about fucking constantly. And that's just like, it has completely changed the way that you like emotionally and mentally think about the world when it is all filtered through posting. When what you spend most of your day looking at, what you see, you know, a majority of people that you know in a passive sense, like that's how you engage. Like it changes the way that you think about things, which I think is one of the most important things that we have to preserve Mm -hmm. is your ability to see things clearly in a way that is authentic to you and your experience and not you getting it shoved through the meat grinder of the internet. Or you having to process it in a way that you need to make it publicly available for other people. Yes. The push for relatability is, I think, a big mistake. I don't want to see relatable media. Obviously, there are a lot of situations in which this is good, but every statement that is an expression of the self must immediately, to be popular, be turned into something relatable. And then if it's not relatable, it's like, well, why isn't this relatable specifically to me? Why isn't this exactly what I wanted? Yes. That's the big problem, is people being so self-centered that the moment a thing does not cater to something they understand— they get upset. This bothers me more than anything, the inability to just look shit up. The moment I don't understand something on Twitter, which is all I do on Twitter is not understand shit, I look mm-hmm. at the fuck up. This happens most often with slang or you know, internet speak or whatever. Someone says something, and in a way you can tell that this is a meme. Like it, it is a mm-hmm. repeated thing that they've seen elsewhere. It's not like there's not a whole fucking website about the way people use memes. You just Google it and it shows up. Google it with the word meme after it. And you know what? It's probably been in circulation for five years, if not more. And you'll find people talking about how it's a meme. And in fact, more often than not, how it's not even cool anymore. And they're just coming to it late. So I will never understand the first reaction being, A, to ask, what does this mean? Or to be upset that it's not something they understand when the number one thing I want to inculcate in my daughter and people is, hey, let's figure this out. And everything on Twitter, especially, and just the internet as a whole, seems to reward the opposite of, hey, let's figure it out, but instead rewards, hey, why isn't this something I already understand? And then, then you've lost. Okay, do you do this when you're speaking to someone via text and they mention something that you have never heard of or like a word that you've never heard? Do you immediately Google it before you respond? Yeah, of course. Yeah, me too. Does everybody do that? No, I think most people don't do that. I realize that maybe sounds like, oh, I'm trying to like get ahead of it. But like, I don't want to put the burden on the other person to constantly explain to me what they're talking about. Yeah. Because I've been on the other end of that and it's like, bro, we're talking on an internet connection. You can just Google that shit. I'm happy to explain it. But like when you do it 10 times in a row, you can just Google it. That's right. If someone's asking you like, hey, have you ever seen this 
thing that clearly they want to tell you about, then I'll be like, yeah, what is that? I'm unfamiliar with it because I just want to hear what their perspective on it is. But half the time, like, you could just search for it. It's the whole internet's there for you at your fingertips in the matter of seconds. And the thing that's especially puzzling to me are the people who are so online that they clearly just live online pretty much entirely and probably Google shit constantly, constantly and yet don't have this immediate reaction to, hey, I don't understand something, let me look it up. Or more generally, hey, I heard this, is this actually true? Can I verify this before spreading it? It is such a part of my internet life and my social media life where if I make a claim about something, and I'm not talking about like jokes on the NSP Twitter, I'm talking about stuff I post on my own. If I'm going to say something, I want to make as sure as I can that it's correct unless it's something I know to be right, I'm going to do a sniff test and just say, hey, does this seem right? And then try to verify it. And as people have said endlessly, that is the opposite of what the internet rewards. The internet rewards pretending you're certain about literally everything. And then, you know, you just run with that opinion until someone calls you out and then you double down because then they're questioning you and fuck them and blah, blah, blah. When if I was taught anything as a scientist, it's, question everything, really try to be careful with your words. Things mean things. And if you say something that's not true, then correct it, like acknowledge it and correct it. Yeah. It's especially frustrating remembering when I was actually looking at Twitter to see like some massively retweeted thing where it's like, well, that seems pretty crazy. And then you click on it and literally the first reply is like, this is fake. Here's how it like, this is this actual source of this. And it's like, so 100,000 people retweet that without even clicking on it to see the first reply, right. let alone look it up? Like, Well, because most of the time, those aren't the dunks that get that. That's usually the thing that you would already agree with, right? So this is where it's especially a problem is when it reinforces preconceived biases. And yep. it's something like, you know, can you believe that Trump said this? And it's, it's some idiotic thing. And you're like, yeah, Trump sucks. He's fucking stupid, which I don't disagree with by the way. But I went nuts with Trump stuff on Twitter because a lot of it was just people not checking the basic facts and then dunking on Trump and the person who deserves to be dunked on the most in the world, of course. Yeah. But for a thing that didn't actually happen. And then all it does is devalue the stuff that he actually does constantly fuck up. Yeah. And it's such a fucking problematic thing. And I saw so many friends Smart friends like spreading false information just because it was like reinforcing, reinforcing something that they already agreed. Look, I want to be very clear, by the way, I am not a fan of Donald Trump. Do not fucking come at me with this stuff. I love that you feel a need to say that. (laughs) Yeah. After (laughs) just by being like, hey, maybe if you're going to dunk on somebody, get what you're dunking on them about correct, because there are plenty of things to be correct about. Everybody, this is Late Night with Brian Wecht. Over here across from me, we have Leighton Gray. What the fuck is up, gamers? That's me. The other one was Brian Wecht. Yo. I was about to throw out a mystery guest who is not there. No mystery guest this week because it's been a while since it's been just us and it's hard to book guests. So guess which was the dominant reason that it's just (laughs) us this week. With yet another high-octane episode of this show. Yeah. Got him. That's right. You know, we're full of jet fuel and heading for the runway. Yes. 
Should we move on to segments? <laughs> yes, we should move on to segments. All right. Now, actually, I have a surprise segment for you here. Oh, shit. This week, Clayton. Now, this has never happened before. <gasps> this segment is our pop culture recommendation segment where you get to talk about a book or a movie or a video game or anything that has been interesting to you in the past week or so. Basically, we record every week. So something usually that's you've experienced in, in the past week. Now, what's interesting about this segment and that is new this week is the theme song. Too. Mm -hmm. So I took a step back. So it's been a while since I've talked about the theme song for this particular segment, because honestly, there are a couple reasons for it is one, I felt like I was kind of repeating myself, which as we've talked about very recently, I'm very reluctant to do. I don't want to repeat myself. It's inevitable when you, you know, broadcast as frequently as we do, some amount of repetition is going to happen, but you want to minimize it. And that of course is why we have our wonderful producer, Jarek, who says things like stop fucking talking about diners and, you know, maybe we should cut the 10 minutes long discussion of your internet provider's service again. So I don't want to repeat myself, but some of it is inevitable. And I felt like I was kind of doing that with these discussions of the theme song for this brand new segment. And the thing that I did is I, I took a step back and I went on a little retreat where I could evaluate my priorities for what I wanted this theme music to be. So the, the questions, the kind of questions I asked included, but we're not limited to what's the mood I want from this particular music. Should it have lyrics or not? You know, the old version of the song did have lyrics. It doesn't need to. I think people by now understand that it's the theme song for a segment on the show. And by now we're going to say the name of the segment, but I don't want to spoil anything. The segment is called What's Poppin'. And I think if you introduce it as the What's Poppin' theme song, you don't need to have the phrase What's Poppin' in there, although the old version of the song definitely, definitely did. So one of the questions I was asking was, should the song have the lyrics in it? And you'll hear what I came up with momentarily as soon as I'm done with this introduction. Tempo is important, of course, as a whole kind of sonic landscape that you have to think about. I had a few style comps in mind, one of which was that Electric Company theme song that I played for you earlier, which is why I played it for you before. So I decided to basically reinvent this from the ground up after taking a few days to really think about what I wanted to emphasize. So what you're going to hear in a few minutes here, once I'm done with minutes. this introduction, well, minute, I, I don't know. You know, I, I haven't planned this out. Like all things in this show, we don't do much prep. So maybe it's minutes, maybe it's 10 or 15 minutes. I don't really know. I don't like to feel like my voice is being stifled by uh, a time limit on the introduction to this particular segment. I'm not going to accuse you of stifling my voice in this podcast. That would be, I think, a slight overstatement. I'm elevating your voice by giving you Thank space you. to say this. That's right. I do feel like occasionally you want me to move these introductions on, but that I don't feel present in this conversation this week. So what I'm going to play for you in just a moment here is the brand new theme song to the What's Poppin' segment. Hold on, let me just take it. Uh-huh. And that 
So are you ready? I, sorry, I need a verbal. I am completely yes and totally Just ready. Let me, fin- really? sorry, let me finish. I am, I am finish excited to hear the artistic iteration finish. that you've made on if your existing on your existing legally, work. I'm really Layton, excited to hear the Layton, way. Le- legally, I have to read this to you, or I cannot play the What's Poppin' theme song for you. This is not my choice. Is there a rights problem? It's not a rights problem. There's just language that I have to get through before I play what language? the new version You've of the song. You've said a lot of language. By, How is that not is most of the language by the state, already? But I didn't read. You know, it's like, it's like a, a flight attendant, right? Dictated by the state. Yeah. Like if you're going to play, you know, a, a new piece of copyrighted content, you legally have to read the particular paragraph. But we never did that for the last song. Do we now have 106 episodes where that's going to be a problem? Look, I've consulted my extensive legal team about it. And I think we're in good shape, but I do need you to let me read this chunk of text to you mm-hmm. before you answer the question. So are you ready to hear the updated theme song for the what's poppin' segment? Is that the legal part that you needed to read? Yes. Okay. Do I need to sign anything? Do I need to fax this? You need to say the word yes. But is that legally binding if I say yes, it is. the word that you're saying that I should say right now? If you have a verbal yes, that's right. You haven't spoken to my lawyers about this, have you? So I really want to keep this part of the show moving. So if you could not drag this out, I'd appreciate it. Can you just I, give me a verbal There is no yes? speed that is going to accept glazing over some legal issues. You know, I would much rather spend longer now getting this squared away than having to get into the future and be, you know thousands, millions of dollars in the hole over the theme song. You know, I I really think in terms of weighing the importance. That, By the way, I can't wait to get to a point where I sue you. That's going to be awesome. (laughs) I don't know when it's going to happen, but no, no, but I will counter sue. You will be sued. You will be served. You will be unsuspecting Uh getting ice cream with your family. And a guy's going to come up and be like, are you Brian Wecht? Ninja Brian? Like, yeah, no, he's going to have like big NSP fan gear. This is the oh ultimate way God. to serve me papers. NSP fan gear, you know, like has the Ninja Brian face mask on or whatever. And he's like, are you Ninja Brian? And I'm like, hell yeah, dude. Bam. What do you want me to sign? I got this. served. Yeah. You're what can I sign this? Summons, yeah. Courtesy of Leighton Gray Incorporated. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's going to be messy. That's gonna, what are we going to do about the podcast when we're in the middle of this legal battle? Like, are we just going to suck it up? Are we going to record the court proceedings? Jared's going to have to pick a side is the important thing. Yeah, I can't wait. That'd be fun. Can he testify for both of us? That'd be great, actually. Yes. I love the idea of each of us having to get character witnesses, but it's the same pool of people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this is the theme song for What's Poppin'. Here it goes. What's poppin'? Could you hear that? No. Cool. There was just silence. Ah, uh, Layton, what's poppin'? <laughs> you know, sometimes I really get excited that maybe, maybe, maybe you've chosen to not commit your millionth bit crime on me. I do want to emphasize here that you had the option of renaming the segment not a scant two months ago and chose not to do it. I chose not to do it. You dug your own grave on this one. I was fully committed to letting the BLB corner be what we called this from now on. As always, I'm an old man. Perhaps my memory is faulty. But the way I recall this, 
you swung it back around to what's popping. If I'm willing to do nothing else, it is run a bit into the ground. So I was prepared to take Brent's stupid suggestion for this title of this segment. But no, you didn't want to. So if you don't like the theme song, you can't blame me. What's popping? I'll see you in fucking court, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see when we listen to the transcripts. (laughs) (laughs) God, that poor fucking stenographer having to type that out. Oh, my God. Lady. It just says, come, 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 yeah, come, Yeah, you're going to have to figure come, out come. what that, that chord combination on the stenographer thing, stenograph. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, what's popping for me is Stephen King's Cujo, the book. Oh, shit. I've never read it. I've never seen the movie. I mm-hmm. had an experience. She's fine. But a much larger dog came at maybe recently, and I'm not going to get into the specifics oh, no. of this story because it's upsetting, but she is unharmed and completely fine. It was just scary. Okay, good. And then that wasn't what directly got me to read Cujo, but I was like, man, there's Stephen King books I have not read yet that I should read. And so that just Mm -hmm. felt like the natural. That's a pretty early one, right? That's like a 70s one. Maybe. I'm not sure, but I'm really impressed with it. Just how many of his books are like, yeah, here's a premise that sounds like it's going to wear itself out really quickly, but no, it is not. You are going to sit through an act and a half of a normal grounded story in which all of these people are very wrapped up in their own lives that are in storylines and stresses that are actually interesting and real, just completely blissfully unaware of the supernatural or natural horror that is about to befall them. I think I'm like 40% into the book, and Cujo only just killed the first guy. So, Oh, shit. I also didn't realize that like a good bit of it is from Cujo's perspective. I didn't realize that. I know nothing about it except dog goes nuts. I mean, that's what I know about it. Yeah, it's it's pretty heartbreaking from his POV. <laughs> Just like I feel like shit. I can't think right anymore. I'm a bad dog now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's good. I think the last new Stephen King book I read in terms of one that I wasn't rereading was Apt Pupil, which was like fucking amazing. And this is a very different hmm. vibe. It's a movie too, right? Yeah, with Suri and McKellen. Oh, well, I forgot that. I haven't seen the movie, but the book is like, in terms of grossest, dirtiest, just like, oh, this is about humans being fucking evil. That's the one. And Steve King sticks the landing on that one big time, which is hmm. shocking that he would write a good ending. Anyway, that's what's popping. What's <laughs> popping for you? May I just say, burn. Got him. No one's ever made that observation before. (laughs) Popping for me this week is the Crossword Collective American Values Club Crosswords, which recently did a big Kickstarter and got funded and thus are expanding their puzzling activities. It is a thing you can sign up for. They have a wide, awesome, diverse slate of constructors. Before, it was just like pretty standard crosswords, although... NYT has come a long way in their crossword constructing in terms of making it more accessible, but still they have a certain kind of house style that requires a certain level of accessibility, I guess, but that's not the right word. Familiarity with the trappings of a New York Times crossword. Still a little stuffy is what I'm trying to say. AVCX, the American Values Club crossword, can play with that a bit more and they really try and I think succeed at having a great slate of constructors who clue things in interesting ways that, okay, maybe your quote unquote average New York Times reader wouldn't understand, but also who the fuck cares. But they've recently expanded into other stuff and they've been releasing cryptics and trivia, other forms of puzzles. 
they've just started this expansion and it's just really fun to get a new puzzle or several puzzles a week from a lot of constructors I love and new constructors I'm just finding out about. So you can go subscribe to them if you search for American Values Club crosswords, and they have a variety of difficulties. So this is not just for crossword experts. Probably if you're just starting out, you're going to find a lot to love as well. So they had a really great cryptic last week by Nate Carden, who's a veteran constructor that I've been a fan of for a while. And I'd never seen one of his cryptics before, I guess. I can't quite remember. Anyways, a really, really great cryptic and with some really, really fun clues. So yeah, if you like crosswords and you want more variety than just New York Times, and again, love the New York Times crosswords, but if you want something different, American Values Club crosswords, which now includes a lot more than just crosswords. Awesome. Congrats to them. Mm -hmm. All right. It's time for our final segment, which is three parts gratitude exercise, one part petty grousing, theme songs the same, no legal issues here, and it goes right. It's called Peaches and Lemons, if I didn't already say that. Theme song goes here. Peaches and Lemons. Peaches and Lemons. Great. Excellent. That was a theme song that's exactly the same. Yeah, see, it's about efficiency. Uh, I'll start with a lemon. I think my computer won't start up unless I unplug the USB anchor I have in it, and I don't know why. I've gone through a few things where this studio computer is a Mac Mini. I try to start it up. It doesn't connect to Wi-Fi, and then it just keeps restarting and restarting and restarting. But if I unplug the USB anchor, then it starts. Isn't this a brand new computer? It is a brand new computer, and this makes no sense to me. So I'm trying to figure this out, and it's just very baffling why this would be the case. I also might be wrong, and maybe I just have too few data points, but some fuckery was going on with it, and I didn't like it. USB hubs definitely can make things fucky in a variety of ways. Yeah, but to like not let the thing start up and connect to Wi-Fi, does that sound plausible at all? It doesn't sound um, possible Have you me, tried Googling it? <laughs> I actually did, and it did not help. So Great. So anyway, that's my lemon. Like, It's not broken, as far as I can tell, but it's been a little, little wonky. Well, I hope that gets figured out. Yeah, me too. Without you having to spend money on it. Oh, God, let's hope. <laughs> What's your lemon? My lemon is... I had to scrounge for like a really minor one, you know? Because the rest of them were like up here, viewers, I'm putting my hand higher up in the air. And I needed a lemon that was like down, I'm putting my hand lower. Yeah. My lemon is that I got some little cable holders, which I guess if you're watching the video, you can see them touching one right now. They're like the little adhesive. Hell yeah. Fucking great. They're awesome. I have two on my desk now. My cords, so, or I mean, they're not organized at all, but at least they are not in places that are inconvenient for me. And I put one on my nightstand which is a very old, cool, retro, like mid-century modern, very old piece of furniture. I put one of these cable holders to hold my laptop and phone charger next to my bed. And I had a couple of halcyon days of just like, haha, yeah, these are right here. It fell off and now I cannot get it to re-adhere to the surface (laughs) of this table. Like I cannot make Uh it happen. And I'm really upset about it because it was just really much more convenient for me instead of having to lean down and pick up the cable. Just what kind of life is that, that I have to lean over to pick up a cable, you know? Yeah. It's really hard for me. It's tough. Yeah. 
All right. Well, peach time. Good lemons. Thank you. All right. Peach number one is I went to a screening of, wait, is it How Did I or How Did We Get Here? How How Did did We we Get get Here? here? Yes, we. The Jacksepticeye documentary slash concert film. They had a private screening for friends and family, although not really family because all of his family is in Ireland, (laughs) in LA the other night. And everything about this night was perfect. The movie's great, first of all. Like, highly recommend. Just a great film. And here's the thing is, what I didn't expect is, so I knew there'd be, of course, a lot of Sean stuff. You got J.P. Hassan. (gasps) You got Matt Otley, our sound guy for NSP and also for a lot of this tour. You got some quality Vernon Shaw content. I heard. There were so many friends on screen for this thing that it was amazing to see these people that I love like up there being their awesome selves as part of this documentary. And it's a genuinely touching thing about Sean's life. Matt Otley, sound guy, came up to see this and we all got to hang out and oh, it was just a really, really great night. Uh, and the, the movie's great, and it was a really fun hang. You're really making me regret that I didn't respond to that RSVP. You should have come. It would have been great to see you there. It was so much fun. I really wish that I had gone. As Was Sean there? Sean was not there, no. Oh, I miss that guy. It's been a while. Yeah, I know. He's just the best. Like He's one of those guys where, not to wax too rhapsodic about this, but what you see is what you get. He is the sweetheart of a dude that fans think he is. So yes, could not be a bigger fan of him or what he does. He taught me how to floss, not teeth Did floss, really? like dance floss. Yeah. Oh, I really thought you meant teeth floss, actually, and I'm not kidding. Never heard of it until Jack Jacksepticeye. Flossing teeth, yeah. I mean. Which he did. You know what? I'm going to spoil something. He flosses in the movie, too. <gasps> Never would have guessed. Peach 2. We were driving around greater Los Angeles yesterday, and we passed a Thai temple, which I'd never seen before. It's like in a place we don't normally go. And they had a Thai food market, which they apparently do every Saturday, where they have like 10 to 12 different stalls of just various Thai food vendors. And just at this temple, the parking lot of this temple, it was like such a discovery. Apparently, it's like a known thing. I just didn't know about it. And just driving by, we're like, oh, fuck, let's go to that. And it was such a win. I want to go back. So if you look up Wat, W-A-T, Thai food market, you'll see it. It's in like North Valley or something. It's in the valley somewhere, San Fernando Valley. It's this beautiful Thai temple, which has an amazing food market, like food stalls on the weekend. Oh, this food looks so good. Rachel and I were just talking. LA is hands down the best food city I have ever lived in. And, you know, I fucking lived in New York, London, Boston, like major world cities. LA kicks all their asses just because everybody lives here. And if you want it, you can find some amazing version of it. It's like one of those classic LA, like what? There's like an incredible Thai food stall market on the weekend. Fuck yeah, let's do it. What'd you get there? Did you get food? Yes, we got a whole bunch of stuff. We got some fish cakes. We got some pork buns, which I think are probably more Chinese than Thai, but whatever. Rachel got like a Tom Yum soup thing. They just had everything. I decided, like I often do with these things, just to pick one thing that I'd never heard of and try it. I tried grass jelly drink, which Mm -hmm. I did not like at all, but- Describe it? I'm glad I tried it. 
So it was like a sweet, maybe kind of tea thing, but it had like a, a jellied kind of filaments in the bottom. It mm-hmm. wasn't the filaments. It was the taste of the drink itself was not my particular cup of tea, but that's why I try things. That sounds wonderful. I would love to go to that. It was great. Let's go some weekend because it was really fun. I would love that because I never go anywhere partially because of COVID, but also I'm just trying to get better about like I am a homebody, but also I'm just trying to grapple with I am deathly afraid of driving and realizing how much my phobia around driving prevents me from doing things and seeing people. So I just got to get over that. Well, we can also pick you up. So we are happy to do that too. That would be fucking tight as hell. My final peach is, now that we have an acoustic piano, is I've been playing through some of my Broadway songbooks, and occasionally Audrey and I just sit down at the piano and sing old Broadway show tunes together, and she tries to figure them out, and she has a great ear, and it is just the best. The song we've been singing a lot recently is What Kind of Fool Am I from the 1960-something musical Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, which is a musical I know basically nothing about but has a really classic song that was one of Sammy Davis Jr.'s big hits. And when you hear a tiny little seven-year-old singing, what kind of fool am I who never fell in love? It's just like the cutest thing. Wow. But yeah, singing show tunes with my daughter. I love it. Awesome. That's the peaches. Those are good peaches. Thanks. My peaches are, my first one is, I just love the thing when your dog is sleepy enough that they won't fight you when you try to like full body cuddle them. Uh Like you get that liminal half space where like maybe is a little bit awake and I can drag her across the bed into my arms and hold her like a baby. And she just ragdolls into it and loves it. And it's just the greatest thing in the world. I'm sorry if you can hear the megaphone people yelling about Jesus. (laughs) Los Angeles. My second one is that I've been waiting for a nicer soldering iron to get here for a while, and it arrived. Mm. Oh, you got one. Nice. Yeah, this is the pine sill. Look at how nice it is. Mm-hmm. You can power it with a USB-C. Great. I haven't broken it in yet, but truly my other one was $10, and I've had it for like three years. And you can Aww. see what a difference just in terms of, uh, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm excited and I've got all my PCBs are here now. So I've got, this is the other half of my corn. I don't want to tilt Mm. it because the LEDs that I taped in to solder are already falling out. So that was a great idea of me Mm. to do. Anyway, that's a thing. And then my third peach is that we're recording this on Sunday, February 27th. That's correct. Just for the record, because this will probably come out two weeks after we've recorded this. But just wanted to say the strength of the Ukrainian people and the global community at large and just like the level of courage and bravery that is happening right now is just like truly gives me hope for a better future and more faith in people than I've had in a long time, even though things are scary right now. So yeah, I agree. It it is nice to see that most people seem like they're on the right side of history here. Not all. But most, and certainly it is very inspiring to see people, you know, some of us might complain about little things like chargers falling off walls, but people who actually have to deal with real shit are dealing with it in a very inspiring way. Yes. 
fucking Zelensky. God, just heroes, man. I don't throw that word around lightly. Unless you're talking about the NBC show Heroes, of course. Have we ever talked about NBC Heroes? I don't think we have, but I was really into it when it was on. Me too. By the way, this may be the worst derail. The worst possible time. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, to finish up the previous thought, yeah, I hope that by the time that this episode is out, that things are better. Yes, I hope so too. Yes. Here's me sending positive vibes into two weeks in the future because shit happens so fast now. Anyway, so that's peaches and lemons. Now, now let's talk about NBC Heroes. Yeah, what's your relationship with NBC Heroes? I got into it in high school after it aired almost solely a Zachary Quinto thirst watch because I knew that he was in it. Okay, yes, he's very hot in that show, of course. Yes, He is, yeah. And he's the serial killer, yeah. Yes. I think that first season, at the time that I watched it and for a while after, I was like, this is like one of the tightest first seasons and like a great execution of this idea. And then you watch any of the rest of the show and it's like, oh my God, this is the worst show I've ever seen in my life. The first season I, I watched real time and it's like, okay, this is pretty cool. Then whatever, some number, not large number of episodes into season one, you're like, oh shit, actually, this is really great. Mm-hmm. Then season two starts and I remember being lost essentially immediately. Maybe I stuck it out through season two and then season three was even worse, but I am hard pressed to think of a season two that blew it harder than (laughs) season two heroes. Yeah. I got up to whatever the second to last season was and got halfway through and was like, this is fucking dog shit. This is so bad. I'm not sure if I would feel as strongly about that first season as I did when I watched it, if I watched it now, but it, it was really tight. The moment you get into season two, don't they retcon like half that shit? I believe so. There is at least one character death that they're like, he didn't actually die or right. had died and is still alive. I don't know. Some weird cheat. And I then it, remember. And then it goes into like, um, everyone's related actually, which is one of the most annoying right. twists anything can do that they just end up deploying every three episodes. Like you're related and you're related and you're related. Like, fuck man, come on. The number one thing I think about when I think about heroes is Hayden Panettiere, have you seen her name? But not her. It's the way that that her name is said in the, or Terry's sketch from Key and Peele, <laughs> when I can't remember which guy says it, but he says something to the effect of Hayden Panettiere. Like, we're going to go all Hayden Panettiere on there. You <laughs> on know, some Terry's. Or something, or on some Terry's oh. or whatever. That's right. It rhymes with Terry's, right? Yeah. But 90% of every day I spend thinking about various line deliveries in the Terry's <laughs> sketch. We're going to be eating like Diane Keaton. Oh, it's my number one. Best. Key and Peel. There's so many great ones, but that one just, it's the greatest. And that the guy, fuck, what's his name? Malcolm Barrett, I believe is the actor who's the third guy. Was the guy, we talked about this, the guy from the yes. first episode of Always Sunny? Yeah. Yeah. And is also like one of the greatest, like condensed straight man. Because like I will laugh oh through that God. sketch, but when he starts being like, "Did I miss something?" <laughs> like that yeah, is always yeah. what ends up killing me. <laughs> and also when he's like, "They have a gun. They have a gun. They have a gun." Like the way he escalates that, he yeah. is yeah, he is the perfect straight man in that episode, and their performances are just 
unhinged in the best <laughs> so good. way. How you can make something that's so aggressively weird but never goes off the rails, that is a high wire act that yeah. they achieve due to incredible acting and writing. Oh, yeah. It's just the best. What uh, Keegan Michael Key's tongue does when he says Drax <laughs> them sclounced. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> is maybe my favorite tongue acting of all time. I can't even begin to do it. Yeah. When you look at the comments on the YouTube video, it's people quoting it and then putting the tongue emoji in the middle of the word. And it's like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Oh, it's so great. Terry's. Terry's. Not the Donal Logue series Terriers, which is a separate thing. Is that about like the dogs? No. Oh. It would be cooler if it was about the dogs, like a Look, group of dogs. You have to tell me. I'm a terrier guy. Okay, great. Well, that was another <laughs> just fast and furious episode of Late Night with Brian Wecht. Hell yeah. I was going to ask if we have something to plug, but do we have anything to say for ourselves? How do we justify this shit? Yeah, here's what I'll say. <laughs> Sign up for the Patreon and do the Sopranos watch along with us because it's really fun. So I'm I'm seeing it for the first time, and the conversation, it's a, like a fucking jury episode. Like, what do you want? It's like extra jury content. Like, yeah. come for the watch along, stay for the jury along. It is- Jury along, yes. Yeah, it is great. Any time with jury is a great time. The guy is so fucking smart and funny. It just blows me away every time. Come listen to those episodes. They're available on our Patreon at the two and three peach tier level. So if you're not already there, just sign up. It's great. Good stuff. Yeah. And also, I want people to talk about The Sopranos with. So come uh, get on the Discord and talk to me about The Sopranos because I'm fucking obsessed with The Sopranos and I have two episodes left and I'm fucked up over it. Yeah. Well, and then you have The Many Saints of Newark. <laughs> so excited to watch mm -hmm. Many Saints of Newark. Jesus Christ. Well, I just started what playing have they done? I didn't realize my hand was playing this piano. Look at that. Anyway. Okay, great. Well... Uh, Let's think about daddy's hands as they get all over. We have to stop this. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the show. Bye. Bye. Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Night, or email us at LeightonNight at gmail.com.